This is Toledo Symphony Lab, a behind-the-scenes look at the world of classical music from WGTE Public Media and your Toledo Symphony. I'm Brad Cresswell, and joining me in the studio today are the Toledo Symphony's president and CEO, Zach Vassar, principal second violin and artistic administrator, Merwin Sue. And we have two very special guests here in the studio. We have the TSO's principal tuba, David Saltzman, and by phone, we have composer Navdeep Singh Galen. I have a little fanfare for you, too, here. Let me pull it up for you. <laughs> That's actually David playing the tuba. A lot of congratulations to him for that. He instantly recognized. I could see in your eyes, David, that you recognized your last appearance here on Symphony Lab and that performance of the concerto by who's it by Samuel Atler <laughs> a long time ago I was talking about the concerto that you just played on the uh, oh I <laughs> have no idea fair. who wrote that one <laughs> I think di- didn't you claim that you had just written it oh maybe, yeah, maybe. I thought Brad wrote it maybe yeah. Brad wrote it I Brad wrote it, wrote it. Okay. I wrote it did how you write soon, that how soon they forget I, I recognized your signature style I'm yeah. pretty sure Navdeep's the one who wrote it <laughs> I, I was yeah I was I was trying to save him the embarrassment. Of, <laughs> I'm always embarrassed. It's all good. Uh, that great tuba part. Anyway, welcome yeah. to you, David, and welcome to you, Navdeep. Thanks for joining us today. Yeah, thank you for having me. I'm very excited to be here. Now you are coming, uh, or well, your music is coming to Toledo. You're not going to be here, right? Uh, likely not. Unfortunately, I just kind of had a lot going on. It depends on yeah, how this just, podcast goes, right? Yeah. <laughs> Whether you show up yeah, or not. It's, it's, it's just, a, yeah, it's just the timing. I would have loved to be to have been there, but I'll, I'll be able to listen to the recording. And I had the time of my life writing this piece. Honestly, it was so much fun. And, I mean, I hope you guys enjoyed playing it. it, it I, really, I really enjoyed it. Well, I want to talk about the piece itself and the process of creating it, because this is going to be the world premiere but first, for people to get to know you a little better, we can tell your story, as it were, kind of a getting-to-know-you session. And I have some, some background for music for you. We'll see if this this is acceptable or not. Yeah, perfect. Yeah. Okay. Well, take it away. Tell us a little bit about yourself, Navdeep. Sure. My name is Navdeep Singhalen. I started my musical journey in sixth grade on baritone horn. Uh, when my band director uh, went around the room examining everyone's faces and teeth and told us what instrument we're going to play, what we're best suited to play. So, so I went with it. I did that for a year, and then in seventh grade, I switched to tuba. And that led me to uh, Peabody Conservatory, where I met Dave Salzman, the principal tuba player in the State of Symphony. Um, and there I majored in tuba performance and recording arts and sciences. And uh, the Recording Arts program introduced me to songwriting and production, a little bit of jazz. Um, but I always knew in the back of my mind that I wanted to get into composition. Mm-hmm. And it's just something that I've kind of kept with me this whole time and never really dove in until recently. So following a hiatus from music, I went in and out of music a few different times. Um, but during the pandemic, I, I decided wholeheartedly that I want to pursue composition seriously. So um, I started taking some jazz and composition classes at Berklee College of Music, studied privately with two composition teachers, Ken Wayno and Anna Lash, shout out to them. Um, and, uh, you know, here we are. And I was uh, asked by 
Dave uh, very kindly to, to write this piece. And, you know, it was so much fun. And, you know, I'm really looking forward to having everyone hear it because I'm really proud of it. And I had a really great time writing it. Yay! <laughs> Wonderful. So you and Dave went to school in Baltimore, yeah, together? Yep. Yeah. Um, now, Dave, what, what inspired you to, to uh, tell folks here about Navdeep's music? We were just talking, and it just kind of came out that um, he was um, in, in writing music, and it just kind of came out organically. We just kind of reconnected, yeah. um, and it just, was, it just seemed like the right fit. Well, Navdeep, let's talk about the piece itself. It's called Mojave Sketches. Is that right? That's correct. What what is the the story behind this piece of music? Sure. So um, it's a piece of music for brass quintet with uh, two percussionists. Um, the percussion part is optional, but in this concert, you know, it will be featured. We won't um, tell the percussionists. Yeah. So <laughs> Never. That's, that's a dangerous yeah. thing to yes. say. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I tried to use the percussion palette that. So the piece is called Mojave Sketches. It's inspired by Ugo Rondinon's Seven Magic Mountains. In the Mojave Desert, it's a series of multicolored sculptures mm. um, in the middle of the desert, and you kind of have um, the landscape behind it. It's a really, really interesting uh, concept. So I wrote a piece that uh, interprets the sculptures in seven different ways and represents each of them with music. So um, what I tried to do was take each interpretation and use that to inform things like structure, meter, key, and style of each movement. And I also thought about the meaning of the sculptors themselves being artificial structures interacting with the natural world. I also thought about different perspectives, different types of people who would be visiting these sculptures and, and thought about what it would mean to them. And I also considered the human interaction with the sculptures. So that's represented in the music uh, with these uh, mixed meter sections in each movement, um, which reflects moving around the art piece, seeing, seeing them from different distances and angles, getting up close to them, moving through them. Um, mm. And I also wanted to use, a, I tried to use a percussion palette that suggests the desert landscape mm. in different ways. So now, that's now, How do you do that? I, that seems interesting. I mean, there are a lot of, when you say percussion, I mean, that can encompass a lot of different instruments. Um, what what did you use on the percussion spectrum to, to recreate this kind of feeling or interpretation of these these sculptures? Sure. Well, I mean, when you think of the desert, the first thing I think of is sand, right? So I figure it has to be a shaker, an egg shaker, something that kind of mimics that. Um, you know, uh, instruments like tambourine, maracas, to me, suggest, uh, you know, a cactus and, and prickles dryness, uh, you know, stand, standard drum set, which itself is very colorful. And yeah, that's, that's basically what I use. I kind of went with feeling whatever felt right and what, to me, inspires, you know, these sensations of being in the desert. So there is a quintet for brass, right? There are five brass players. Uh, how many percussionists are involved? Is it just one or are there more than one? Okay, so yeah, there are two percussionists. So there's one just playing standard drum set. And uh, the second percussionist is playing more, playing more of auxiliary percussion, which is uh, tambourine, maracas, shakers, uh, triangle, and some others as well. So one thing that really intrigued me was you were talking about how when you were at Berkeley, you were kind of um, studying jazz and composition at the same time, and then 
there's not that many pieces that actually use a standard drum set as part of it. I was curious to, as to yeah. how kind of your two areas of study may have been kind of um, intersected in this piece. Like, do you keep your jazz worlds and your classical worlds separate, or do they kind of meld together in your musical brain? Um, you know, I consider, I mean, this is just my opinion, but I consider jazz theory to be, um, I mean, I, I think of it to be the, like a very complete system. <laughs> so I, you can analyze all kinds of music using that. Even uh, Debussy, uh, even early, early 20th century composers that you wouldn't really think of as jazz, but in that jazz spectrum, it fits in very nicely and, and you can kind of use that for analysis. Um, you know, I, 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 I think of jazz and classical and world music as being very fluid and flexible. Mm-hmm. And there's a lot of overlap intersectionality there that I think um, kind of lends to, lends to each other. So, David, you've been working on this piece. What, what's your opinion of uh, now deep you have to sit this one out because i'm going to ask david about you um not to put you on the spot i mean you've known him you've known him for a while but you didn't necessarily know him as a composer uh is this your first collaboration with him on the compositional side on the compositional side yeah um we knew each other both as tuba players um back when we were in school together um, you were it, all part of the tuba mafia. We there were part of the, the yeah. tuba. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, very much so. You don't. They call you, it the tuba mirror. Yeah, the tuba mirror. You don't cross with us. That's for sure. Yeah. No, but um, yeah, it's our first time collaborating together as a composer and and you know performer. But it's uh, it's been it's been a lot of fun. We haven't yet had a chance to put it together with percussion yet. We've only rehearsed with the quintet so far. So yeah. rehearsals start this week in earnest with the with the percussion players. Um, although hopefully they've been practicing their parts, I'm sure they have been. <laughs> well, remember that they are optional, right? Yeah. <laughs> if we keep if we keep on saying it on air, we're going to be in trouble here. So, um, yeah, but it's been fun. I mean, we had a really good time uh, putting it together, just as the quintet. It was it was interesting, um, just to kind of feel how the how how it was going to work, and you can almost hear the percussion parts. You know how they would fit in even without them there. Yeah. Um, it was a really, just a, a neat experience putting it together. Um, how, would you, how would you characterize the, the musical language of the piece? It varies between each movement uh, to, a, to a large degree. I mean, I think that each, it definitely sounds like the same composer wrote all seven movements of the work. However, um, it's very colorful. I think it just... It, it's atmospheric. It, it promotes the atmosphere as if you were there and you could almost just kind of absorb that, that, you know, the, the monoliths. I've not been mm-hmm. to the art installation. I've looked at a bunch of pictures on, you know, on my phone and, mm-hmm. and everything yeah. else, but I can almost imagine myself yeah. being in that place when, when, you know, looking at the score and when studying it, you can even see in like, in one of the movements, I, I think it's a Navdeep can correct me. I think it's a G natural that basically continues almost entirely through the entire movement. And you can kind of feel every, you can feel them as the pillars of the, of the stone monument. And then we're just kind of surrounding it on the outsides. It's just a, it's just a neat work. Kind of a Stonehenge effect. (laughs) Definitely so. Definitely so. But it's a, it's a, it's, it's been a lot of fun to just kind of work our way through it and, and kind of feel, feel new territory. It's always a neat, 
uh, experience giving birth to a new piece and getting your hands on a on a piece of music that nobody else has ever had a chance to kind of you know perform before. Yeah, so we're really enjoying that experience. Now, Deep, what what uh, inspired you to take up this particular subject? What was it about the the art installation that attracts you to it musically? And um, you know, it always I visited there in 2017. And it's always stuck with me. I never, I never predicted that I would, I would use it for a basis of a composition. But um, when, when I decided that I wanted to write a piece that combines music and visual art, this is the first piece that came to mind. And, and I, as I thought about it some more, I realized that it, it's a truly unique experience. Going mm-hmm. there, being there, the, the, the scale of these structures, they're like skyscrapers. Yeah. And I think, I think you said, you mentioned Stonehenge. They're very much similar to like a modern version of Stonehenge. Um, I just wanted to capture that feeling. And like, I, I saw a lot of meaning there and a lot of room for interpretation. And, you know, it just seemed like a great starting place for a piece. Do you remember what you were thinking when you saw them for the first time? Because I, I haven't seen them in person but just given the scale i imagine it's one of those things you kind of see before you see it yeah i mean they're they're in the middle of the desert so when you're driving up you definitely see them from a distance and as they get you know they they sort of resemble like these glittering stones like jewels from a distance and as you get closer you see what they actually are and you know just um you know the, the the desert heat um the the smells the sounds in the air they all combine mm-hmm. to create this feeling. And Navdeep, I'm just interested, when you saw them, did you know that they would be hanging around with you for a while like this? Or perhaps was that the sort of thing that you had to go search for some inspiration and, and you ultimately came um, to this? Yeah, I mean, it's I'm routinely inspired by art and I try to go to museums. I love visiting museums. I love going to concerts, obviously. Um, and just trying to get try to absorb and, and understand the world through art as much as I can. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, it, 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 I definitely noticed that it, I was coming back to it and thinking about this piece and its meaning in the days and weeks following mm-hmm. um, the visit. And, um, you know, just like watching videos, looking at photos and, and thinking about it. Um, yeah, I, I kind of, I, I sort of knew in the beginning that this was special to me and yeah. it would stay with me for a while. That's great. That's yeah. wonderful. I have a quiz and I wonder if we can go ahead and, and jump to this because it kind of relates to this idea of, of the, the, the temperature, you know, and the, the feel of the desert. It's a summer quiz. Mm-hmm. You I mean, feel well equipped because, you know, no relative pressure. Relative to the other seasons, you mean? Yeah, well, yeah. How, how do you feel about summer as opposed to winter? I, I'm really disappointed because I've always considered myself a fall specialist. Uh, yeah, well, I mean, you know, certain people are cold weather people, other folks are warm weather people. Mm-hmm. I personally like it when it's really cold, but then I, you know, build a fire or keep it warm where I am and get under the covers, that kind of thing. Um, wh- what are you, Marwin? Are you a cold weather well, I grew up in Edmonton, Canada, so I think <laughs> it's in my blood for me to become a cold weather person. Are you saying that you're cold blooded? Yes, uh, pretty much. That's all what all Canadians are. Perfect. Yeah, <laughs> it's a Canadian thing. David, what what about you? That leaves you spring. 
I don't know. Maybe, maybe so. I spent ten years in Hawaii, so maybe there's mm. a little bit of, of warm weather that has yeah. trickled down into my bloodstream. So, Zach, I'm I'm taking I'm just going around the room yeah, here. No, I'm, I'm I'm a fall guy. You're a fall guy. <laughs> <laughs> I think they made a TV series about yeah, about that. They, lots of finger pointing. Yeah. Now, deep. Are you a, a summer person or a winter person? Um, between those two, I mean, I'm definitely a summer person. Um, being Indian, you know, I guess. Uh, my people are used to the heat. Um, you know, obviously there are, there are, there are limits. Um, and being in the desert in the middle of summer <laughs> where it's over a hundred every day, uh, it, you know, that can, that can be a bit much. I'm, I'm, I'm starting to appreciate all the seasons for what they have to offer. Well, you can, you know, put on continual layers of clothing, but you can only take off so much. So that, that wow. might guide your choice. <laughs> Thank, thank you for that, Brad. Yeah, I'm just glad we're on the radio. Yes, words of wisdom. Hey, this podcast encompasses a lot of subjects, right? Did you get that from Jack Handy? <laughs> Something like that. I've actually been on Jack Handy's uh, show, as a matter of fact. Yeah, if you go searching for my name along with Jack Handy, you'll find the show that I had with him a long time ago. Anyway, I digress. Let's get back you to think? the summer quiz. <laughs> hey, you started with the Jack Handy comment. Anyway, okay, let me pull up some summer music. Excellent. This will get us in the mood for this summer quiz. And the way that we do this, uh, David and Navdeep, is I will go through all eight questions. I'll give you three choices for each question. And you just keep in mind whether it's A, B, or C. The folks here have stuff to write on. They have pens and paper. So you can either do that, now deep, or you can just say that you got them all correct. Okay, we won't know the difference. <laughs> you should actually know that Brad likes to trick people, and sometimes we'll give all of the above or none of the above answers. Yes. And there are often <clears throat> double negatives, which get very confusing. <laughs> yes, get none of the above for none looks like all of the above yeah. for all. Yeah. yeah. Well, having said that, I don't think I have any of those in this quiz. But <laughs> okay, and this first question kind of fits with the whole idea of the Toledo Club and that people go there to eat and drink and enjoy. Um, which of the following is a popular summer cocktail made with tequila, lime juice, and triple sec? Is it martini, margarita, or mojito? A, B, or C? Which of the following is a traditional Finnish summer college? Co cottage, rather, not college. <laughs> Finnish, like the country, summer, like the season, and cottage, like the domicile. Is it a murky, or is it an Aetispakaus, or an Ulati? Something like that. A, B, or C. Okay, which of the following is a traditional Japanese festival held during the summer? Is it Nadam, is it Diwali, or is it Obon? Okay, which of the following is a type of traditional Maltese fishing boat commonly used in the summer? Is it a Kayik, a Vandal, or a Kenyapirito? Okay, <laughs> I'm getting a lot of practice with making up foreign words here. <laughs> Which of the following is a summer palace in St. Petersburg, Russia? Is it Peterhof? Is it Katarinohof? Or is it Hinterhof? A, B, or C. Which of the following is a type of summer squash? Is it butternut, spaghetti, or zucchini? 
Which of the following is a popular summer flower that blooms in shades of purple and white? Is it the daffodil? Is it the hydrangea? Or the lily of the valley? And the last question, between Memorial Day and Labor Day, Americans consume over 7 billion what? Is it gallons of lemonade? Is it hot dogs? Or is it rinds of watermelon? What was the unit? Over 7 billion of those. It's kind of wonderful to know that you could never have studied appropriately for a quiz. <laughs> but there was nothing you could have done to Exactly. <laughs> I got them all right. I don't know what you did. <laughs> I make the questions as obscure and obtuse as possible. So let's go back and Those do the answers. Those are two words to describe. <laughs> yes. <laughs> they describe me. You can, you can just use those all day long. Okay. Uh, the following popular summer cocktail was the margarita. That was B. Everybody get that? I did. Yeah, we got that. The Finnish cottage was the first s- selection. A, <laughs> Murky. That's a small cottage in Finland. Hmm. Everybody get that? Anybody get that? No, no. Nobody yeah. got it. Did you get it, Navdeep? I did not. Wow. <laughs> Nobody got that one. Okay, who picked the Eddie Speckus? That's a maternity box. And don't ask me what that is. And the oilati is a sacramental type of bread. Okay. Aren't maternity boxes? I think that like Scandinavian hospitals give them out at at the birth of children, and it's actually because it's a perfectly safe way to put a kid in a box. It, <laughs> like it doesn't have a lid. Though, I remember I seeing. This How many like, safe ways are there to put a kid <laughs> in a box? <laughs> That's another quiz. I think I saw a documentary about this. <laughs> Yes. Okay. <laughs> Next <Move> question. <laughs> Which of the following is a traditional Japanese festival? It was C, Oban or Oban. Which and also sounds like a single bot scotch, That's a single right? bot scotch. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Very different. Diwali is a festival of lights from India, and Nadam is a Mongolian festival of wrestling, horse racing, and archery. Mm-hmm. Open only to men, evidently. It's the Three Games of Men festival. Okay. Which of the following is a type of traditional Maltese fishing boat? That would be A, the kayak, or kayak, whatever. It sounds like kayak, I think, or a kayak. Vandal was a uh, Dutch poet, and kenyurpirito was a Hungarian word for toaster, right? (laughs) Again with the toaster. Again with the toaster. Folks will have to go back and and listen to our (laughs) podcast we did with Kirsten Leong. And talk about the toaster. Okay. Navdeep, do you like toast? <laughs> <laughs> Navdeep, are you a toast fan? Uh, always. Okay, yeah. see, I still stand by my earlier claim. Everybody likes toast. Yes, indeed. Let me bring back the music. Okay. Uh, where am I? Okay, which of the following is a summer palace in St. Petersburg, Russia? It was, of course, Peter Hoff. Right? Instead of Katharina Hoff. And Hinterhof is just a German word that means your backyard, right behind the house. Okay, did you get that one? No, no. no. Zach got it. I don't think I, don't. I had Hasselhoff, <laughs> so I was completely <laughs> off. On oh man, I'm going to have you write my quizzes in the future. That's a uh, that's a that's a difficult house to work with. Is a Hasselhoff? Yeah, yeah. Yes. for sure, for sure. It's a real hassle. 
Okay. <laughs> Type of the following is a summer squash. Is it butternut spaghetti or zucchini? Spaghetti is obviously not a squash. I don't think it is. Sure it is. It, it is. is. It spaghetti is? squash. Oh, a spaghetti yeah. squash. Oh, that's right. Yeah, yes. it's got like the little spaghetti inside. But yeah. apparently based on your tone, that's not the right answer. It's a winter yeah. squash. Well, no. That, yeah, that's a, that's a different seasonal squash. The answer is zucchini. C. David got that right. I, that's the only one I know I got right. You're a seasonal squash, Brad. <laughs> <laughs> I'm, I'm not really that up on my squashes. How'd you do, Navdeep? Did you get that one? I did not get that. You're in great company. Uh, that's okay. But I got, I, got half, I got half of them, I think. Oh, okay. Well, well there are two, two more left, yeah. so, you know, hope springs uh, eternal. So Which of the following is a popular summer flower that blooms in shades of purple and white? The answer was hydrangea B. Lily of the Valley is kind of like white with white with pink and yeah. pink and purplish yeah. overtones to yeah. it, but uh, the hydrangea blooms in the summer. Okay, last question: Between Memorial Day and Labor Day, Americans consume over seven billion what? Was it gallons of lemonade? Was it hot dogs or rinds of watermelon? The answer is B, hot dogs. Mm. Did you guys get that one? I did. Yeah, Merwin yeah. got it. How'd you do, Navdeep? I guessed uh, lemonade. Okay, the winner of the quiz is... Yay! Nadine. <laughs> and David. <laughs> I forgot you're a guest too, David. It's all good. I'm king yeah. of the zucchini. Other than that, I'm not very good yeah. at this. <laughs> king of zucchini. Zucchini. Yes, well, zucchini. we should, we should okay. mention that this concert is Sunday. It's May 21st at the Toledo Club. And the concert is sold out right now, but folks mm-hmm. can, you know, always check, stand by the door and try to get tickets, or they can log onto the website or call the uh, box office. That number is 419-246-8000 if you want to uh, experience this in person. It's not often that you do a world premiere, mm-hmm. uh, you know, in one of these chamber concerts. So I think that's exciting. Yeah, David, you kind of touched on this earlier, your work with Navdeep. I mean... When you think of great composers writing for great instruments, they either play it themselves or they have a musician that they've written it for. In this case, Navdeep, you're, you're kind of both because you play the tuba, but you're also writing it for tubists to, to perform for you. I wonder what your collaboration with David has been during the process of, of bringing this piece to life. Well, I mean, I, I know that David's a fine player, and he can handle anything I throw at him. And, um, yeah, yeah I wanted to give him something fun and exciting that they would uh, enjoy playing. And I hope I did so. Yeah. Now, when people write for the tuba, I mean, I've written a tuba concerto. We heard a little bit of that <laughs> at, at the beginning of the uh, of the podcast today. But but what are the what do you have to watch out for? I mean, you think of the tuba as like, you know, the umpapa of the orchestra. But what do you have to watch out for when you're writing for the tuba, and I, I want to hear from both of you, really. The sound of the tuba is vastly different throughout its range. Mm-hmm. So the the lower um, end of the tuba is probably what you think about the most when you when you like you mentioned the upa sound. But in addition, the tuba is a very beautiful lyrical instrument, and it just soars in the top uh, top of the bass class staff and above the bass class staff. It just soars over the. I'm going to bring in some music here. Okay, now go ahead. <laughs> Tell us more about tuba. So you know, it can it can it can handle a variety of roles, and um, you know, it can it can uh, be the support, harmonic support, uh, walking bass, uh, 
you know, one in five uh, whole notes like you're used to hearing. But also, you know, it can, it can, it can kind of do a lot of other things, too. It can, uh, it can play counter melodies, it can play melodies, it can, um, um, you know, it can, it, can, it can dazzle a little bit, too. It can, yeah. it can, it can do a lot, more, more, than, more than you would think unless you, unless you were in the know <laughs> about the instrument. More than we, you would think in listening to this music, right? <laughs> so there is a, a quintet. Was that, was that alternative uh, percussion <laughs> optional? Yes, right. that was percussion optional, <laughs> but it. we use a little percussion there. Notice heard yes. that. It's a piece called Tuba Playground, right? I think which is an appropriate title. I honestly don't know what they have to watch out for. Honestly, I mean, I love playing the Oompa stuff. I think it's a lot of fun. Every time that we get, you know, the cantina band that comes into the orchestra around Halloween time and stuff like that, that's some of the most fun stuff I get to do, and I enjoy doing that. I, but I think, you know, composers have, have a good, a much better idea of what the tuba can do versus about 50, 60 years ago when, you know, my teacher... Harvey Phillips was trying to get people to write music for, for the tuba where, you know, we only had things about whales and down in deep, dark cellars and things like that, you know, where... The, <laughs> whales the, in your cellar. Yeah. Whales and cellars. Sounds like and, a movie and, idea. And, and <laughs> bears and things like that. You know, now nowadays there's 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 much more lyrical mm-hmm. and, and, and other options for us to play and other options for us to explore. And it's all because of, of the work of just, you know, my teacher, Harvey Phillips, and just encouraging us to go out and talk to people like Navdeep and get them to write interesting things things for us to play because the the tuba can be just as expressive as the violin it's just mm-hmm. that you know our role in the orchestra and our traditional role even in the quintet is much more of a support role just because that's the nature of our yeah. of our instrument well when you think of a, a quintet you you all the attention goes to the trumpets you know and you you think of the tuba that's because sort of they're like... trumpet players so that's just what they want <laughs> they demand Selection all that bias. attention they demand yeah. they demand that it's just a so, personality so now deep you you write for the uh, quintet and you're a tuba player yourself I mean so does that kind of flip things on its mm-hmm. head or you pay a little more attention to the the instrument that you play yeah I think so I mean there are a lot of things that I've played in quintets and and sometimes I, I've wanted to play the melody and uh, never rarely really got the chance in a quintet to do um, you know and I, I enjoyed uh, divvying up the solos evenly or tried to among the players um, and give, and give the two a player a little bit more than they than they're usually asked to handle. You yeah. definitely did. You definitely did. <laughs> so we're, go- we're going to assign a, a an alternate title to this piece. We'll call it Navdeep's Revenge, right? <laughs> <laughs> okay. So now there is uh, some other music also being presented on the program that we should probably touch on a little bit. Uh, there's a couple of works by Sammy Barber, and people are going to know the, the string quartet, at least mm. the second movement. Sure. Right, because you want to tell us about that, Mo? Sure. There's a really iconic adagio for strings that uh, that lives in kind of the cultural um, zeitgeist as an orchestral piece, but it actually has its genesis as the slow movement, the center of this quartet. Yeah, and, yeah. and it's almost exactly you know the way it is for <laughs> string orchestra, exactly, so people would definitely recognize that and it's a piece that's been used many times as you mentioned mm-hmm. yes it really has kind of, it it exists very much outside the context of what it was originally written for i think it has a kind of a lot of connotations um sometimes tragic connotations sometimes kind of elegiac um and you know it it's been associated with a lot of really important kind of 
cultural and historic touchstones because people just return to that music in times yeah. of you know great import. Yeah. Well, it, it strikes me that you've got like different um, groups of types of instruments mm -hmm. in each of the pieces that you've you've put on this program. You've got the summer music of Samuel Barber, which is for winds, woodwinds. Mm -hmm. And then you've got the string quartet for strings, and then the horn quartet of Mozart. The right? Mozart horn quartet. It's actually for uh, an unusual instrumentation. A quintet, of, yeah, I should say. Yeah, uh, French horn, and they and and Mozart very smartly, you know, decided to take away a violin whenever you can. You should always do that. <laughs> and it's for so it's horn, violin, two violas, and cello. There is no optional percussion or second violin, um, but it's a great piece. Um, I'm really excited to be playing on that with um, the TSO's principal horn player, Megan Amos, and then um, Reed, Mihaela, and Amy, kind of my colleagues and friends in the string section. So um, a ton of fun to put together. Um, really, really great piece. Um, something that's really interesting, I think, is that the origins of these pieces in the program, they kind of um, have very diverse origin stories about how like, you know, chamber music commissions kind of come into being. And it's, you know, part of me will be really interested in like, you know, hearing what that first phone conversation was like between um, Dave and Navdeep. Um, you know, like <laughs> what, what is just like, eh, write me something. Or he, did he have very strict requirements about what, you know, um, but the interesting thing about the Barber Summer Music is that it was paid for by the audience. Um, mm. It was commissioned by the Chamber Music Society of Detroit. And they basically, you know, after hearing the piece, they kind of donated a certain amount of money. Um, the Chamber Music Society guaranteed a certain minimum in case the mm. piece didn't go over well, but the piece went over wonderfully well. It's mm. become a standard in the wind quintet repertoire. And So they know, basically put a tip jar out there. And <laughs> well, well, when you put it that way, it sounds less revolutionary and interesting. <laughs> I, I, I thought of yeah. it as a neat commissioning model, yeah. but you just yeah. called it a tip jar, and I feel a little reductive. <laughs> it's I, a little I, reductive. <laughs> I, I was thinking you could do that at the Toledo club, you know, you just have a piano whether you play it or not and put a little tip jar on it and <laughs> you guys will be all set. That'll be your pay for the for the uh, evening. Not that deep. is not how the commissioning model has worked. <laughs> hey, I'm full of ideas though. I'm sorry, Merwin. <laughs> we just got breaking news. I think this is really important um, for, for us to know. Um, one hour ago, the International Tuba Euphonium Association named as this winner of the Dan Parentoni Teaching Award, um, David Saltzman. Wow, congratulations, David. Thank you very much. Wow. Yeah, did you know that you were gonna get that award? I knew, they called me about a couple weeks ago. Oh, so you already knew? knew? All right. But, yeah. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> I knew that it was, but I, I didn't know that they were going to be making it public. Okay. Well, so it's I mean, made public. My phone is blowing up as we as we speak. Well, we'll let you get to your phone <laughs> and get off the radio here. Um, I I do want to make the point though that this is the the final concert, uh, the chamber concert of the Toledo Symphony season. They give a number of these throughout the year, mostly at the Toledo Club. You returned to the T Toledo Club recently. And it's a much more intimate, different experience than sitting in the hall, say, at the Peristyle mm -hmm. or the Valentine or what have you. So this is, you know, for those folks that are going and that go regularly to the 
to the uh, programs at the Toledo Club. They're going to really have something special in store for them Mm -hmm. with this piece for brass and percussion, provided the percussion is good enough at rehearsal. We'll see. (laughs) (laughs) I'm sure they're going to be good enough as whether or not we actually get them to show up say, yeah. you know, <laughs> after after this radio interview when we've been bashing them for now Dave years. you could you could compose something where all musicians are optional there you go yeah, yeah just a quick rebuttal um, <laughs> <laughs> so it wasn't my intention to make the percussion optional I'd written the brass parts first and I liked how it sounded without percussion so then I decided hey maybe it works without percussion so uh, let's let's give them a choice So the concert is Sunday. It's May 21st, 7 p.m. at the Toledo Club. Music of Samuel Barber, also Wolfgang Mozart. And our special guest today, Nadeep Singhalan, who is uh, the composer of the Mojave Sketches for Brass Quintet and Percussion. It'll be performed by David Salzman, principal tubist of the Toledo Symphony, who's also been my guest on Toledo Symphony Lab. Thanks for both of you for coming in and telling us about this, uh, this new piece. Thank you for having us. It's been a pleasure. Yeah. Yeah, thanks. This program is a production of WGTE Public Media in collaboration with our sponsor, the Toledo Symphony, with generous support from the Rita Barber Kern Foundation. You can download episodes as a podcast by going to our website at wgte.org lab. You can also subscribe to us through your podcast app of choice, including Apple, Google, and Spotify podcasts. And don't forget to check out all the upcoming events, including the new season of the Toledo Symphony, by visiting their website at toledosymphony.com and their various social media outlets on Facebook, Instagram, and Twitter. You can find the TSO streaming platform online at stream.artstoledo.com. My thanks to Zach Vasser and Mormon Sue, and of course our special guests, David Saltzman and Navdeep Singhalan. I'm Brad Cresswell. You've been listening to Toledo Symphony Lab from FM 91.